0: This episode is brought to you by Vinsmart. Need help with your recall campaigns? DMVs, government agencies, fleet owners can learn more by visiting vinsmart.com slash businesses or call 1-888-950-9550. Welcome to AnvaCast, bringing news, information, and expertise to the Anva community. Here's your host, Ian Grossman. Enjoy the show. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Amvicast. This week, we are going to be taking a look at having a conversation about a new CDL regulation going into effect soon. It's called the Entry Level Driver Training Rule, ELDT. And to talk about the rule and what it means for the world of CDL and our members, I'm pleased to welcome Joe DiLorenzo. Joe's the Director of Enforcement and Compliance at FMCSA. Joe, welcome to your first appearance on the Amvacast.
1: Thanks, Ian. It's great to be here.
0: So let's uh, let's talk about it right away. This is um, we have a new compliance date that is quickly approaching, and so many folks may not be aware, may not know. And so let's talk about what's what's happening. But let's let's go back in history first. Talk about the history of this rule. Didn't happen overnight. This uh, the need for it. The question for the requirement for FMCSA to tackle this goes back to the MAP 21 legislation, correct?
1: Sure, yeah, it's been around for a while and we went through the process. It's actually a bit of a unique rule for those that are really interested in exciting things inside the beltway, things like rulemaking processes because it was done through a negotiated rulemaking, which is a process that's not used very often. Mm-hmm. But really what it does is it brings together all of the interested parties and hash out the regulation that way as, as opposed to kind of the normal just notice to propose rulemaking and comment process. So you get a really full set of comments, a full set of discussion, and that's what led to the final rule being the way that it is.
0: And when you say that they get together and hash it out, there's actually multiple meetings of the stakeholders, right, where they come together, you know, they sit around the room and they talk about these issues to, like you say, negotiate the rulemaking.
1: Yeah, it's exactly like that. It's one of those one of those rare sayings that we have in D.C. that neat, what it says is exactly what it means. <laughs> Every, everybody actually gets together and goes through this process. We facilitate through there what the key issues are. Each meeting tackles an, you know a topic or two, and all of the stakeholders on all of the different sides of the arguments are involved in that. So then you come out with a rule that you know is at least acceptable to everybody that worked on the process. So
0: what were the voices in the room for that negotiated rulemaking on this one? when we talk about, like you say, the words mean what they say, entry-level driver training, we're obviously talking about driver training for new CDL drivers. So who were the voices around the table in that negotiated rulemaking process? And I don't need like organization names, but what are the different perspectives that were kind of together in discussing this?
1: Sure. Yeah. The key stakeholders involved in this are obviously the trucking industry. So we try to have a representative of all of the different facets and different kind of sizes, as you know, the trucking industry being as disparate as it is with very large companies and very small companies. So try to get a good cross section of the voices there. Probably next on the list is the safety advocate side, always an important voice to have um, going through that. Some folks on the enforcement side, as well as in this case, um, they're obviously you and, uh, and your membership The uh, state drivers licensing agencies has a huge piece of this so we needed to kind of get everybody's voice involved so all those people and some others get got together to work this out.
0: And so what would they come up with? Give us, you know, without without reading the National Registry to us, tell us the high level key components of what the new rule requires.
1: Well, I know everybody will have read the Federal Register on their own. (laughs) So there's all the the preamble and all that. I'm sure everybody's absorbed it. But I like to boil it down to just a couple of really key things. Yeah. The first thing being is that for the first time, we have a minimum standard for what training is for a driver that's going to get a CDL. This area has been completely unregulated. So training could vary over all sorts of different ranges in terms of time and topics covered and everything. And now what we have for the industry is that basic standard. And I say minimum standard because every, every federal regulation is a minimum. So now at least mm-hmm. we start with this minimum criteria where we have listed in the curriculum that has to be given to the drivers what the topics are and all of the different things that have to be covered as they're going through their initial training to get their commercial driver's license it applies to new CDLA and B holders and new applicants to hazmat passenger and school bus endorsements and so what it sets out now is a what I describe as a performance based standard a lot of people look in the rule and say well how many hours is it going to take and the rule says you need to be proficient in all of these different items. It's going to include some classroom training. It's going to include some range training. It's going to include some time on the road. And have that performance-based standard so that each CDL applicant that graduates has those basic, uh, those, those basic skills going forward. And I do want to just touch on that piece for a second because one of the questions that we always get, maybe you were going to ask me, and I'll preempt you, is this issue about the number of hours? Yeah. Why there is or not a number of hours? And really, uh, the performance-based standard from a safety standpoint is really what you want, because mm-hmm. just by way of example, you know, you and me are both going to the to the same driving school, and you're doing really well, um, and so you manage to demonstrate proficiency in 120 hours or whatever the number is, but me, not so good. So it's gonna take me longer to get through, but we will graduate from that with the same level of proficiency. So that's a really important component, I think, for folks to understand. The second thing that this does is it really creates a closed loop system for training. Because what has to happen is those folks that are giving the training now, starting on February 7th of next year, have to be registered with FMCSA And so a new new driver will select somebody from what we call the training provider registry. And that will allow um, them to select the people that are registered with us, know that they're getting that training that meets that curriculum. And then once they complete that training, that training is transmitted to FMCSA and to the state driver's licensing agency. So when that applicant goes to get their driver's license, the SDLA, the state driver's license agency, can be assured that they have gotten the training from Mm -hmm. a registered training provider and it kind of closes that whole loop for everybody. So really those two things, the minimum standard and the the closing of the the closed loop system with the CDL are the key points I think everybody should take away from this rule.
0: So let's unpack some of those different components and let's start with the the first one you mentioned, which is the training providers are going to register with a registry that FMCSA is, is operating, the training provider registry. Are there any qualifications or criteria that a trainer has to meet in order to
1: register with the training provider registry? So the, the trainings, the register, the registration is done at the training school level. And uh, and they will. there's a couple of things that are included when they provide us in the registration in addition to the curriculum. One is any of their locations. So locations will be um, done differently, but they also in going through that process are saying that yes, that their driver trainers do have the minimum requirements of the rule, which I believe is two years of experience mm-hmm. and then being able to understand and go through all of the proficiency requirements. So when that, when that training provider registers, they provide us all the documentation in the rule. There's this list of all of these things that they have to have and um, they need to uh, do all that. And Once we check off that all those things are there, then we will go ahead and we will add them to the list.
0: And then when a potential driver, when an applicant uh, goes and looks for this provider, They go to the FMCSA website and they look on the registry there. That's how a potential driver would access it.
1: That's exactly it. Yes. And when right now we're in the process of registering those people. So we're getting them in there. And then once we make it public between now and February 7th, they'll be able to go in and you'll be able to look in your state, you know, find your location. Mm -hmm. Or if it's a training school that you've used before, you'll go in and, and, you know, select your, your training school and be able to do it all that way.
0: And so for those that aren't as familiar with the the CDL licensing process, um, let's explain how the the steps work in terms of obviously an individual already has their base license, their regular non-CDL license, um, and they have to go through the process of getting a um, commercial learner's permit. Talk to me about the segue of how the getting the CLP fits in and where it fits in with know, participating in the driver training process?
1: Sure. Yeah. Once the driver has their, has their CLP, they can then get into this, then this process kind of starts. So they can go, that's when they go in, they get their training, then they go to the state driver's licensing agency. And that's then when they will have to take the knowledge test for the cdl or whatever endorsements they're going to have to take and then of course they're going to have to take the skills test uh with you know like any normal licensing would mm-hmm. so it's sort of that whole process together this is really it, i like to kind of tell people when i explain this is it's not actually a new requirement right because you still always had to get your clp and you still had to go to your training and you still had to go to the sdla your knowledge and skills test. It's just that we've redefined what that training piece means now by saying that it has to be given by somebody that's listed on the TPR, right. you know, and and have that specific training.
0: So once that individual completes that, now they're going to go back to take the the exam to get their CDL. Uh, what what do they need to bring with them, and what do
1: the SDLAs have to do to vet that information? Sure. So, as far as what they need to bring, nothing different as it relates to the normal licensing process. Because, as I mentioned, since this is getting transmitted to the SDLA electronically, um, and this is going to be something that we're going to be working on with your membership and the and the SDLAS and everybody over the coming months, they'll be able to look that driver up in their system. Um, because the the training provider will have entered their information into the system, and then we transmit it to them. And as long as that, when they enter it into the system, however, they're having their interface at the state level, it will pull up and say, yep, Ian's got his entry-level driver training done, and then they will move you through the process. If they enter you into that process, uh, if they start to look you up, then and there's nothing there, then it's kind of to stop, do not pass go. You're gonna have the drivers then gonna have to figure out um, you know, exactly what happened. So that's why it's so important that in that initial stage, uh, the drivers are, uh, and whoever's helping the drivers, if somebody is making sure that they're selecting somebody off that TPR, because that's the only way it's gonna happen and get transmitted. If they use another training provider that's not registered, there's going to be no mechanism for that to happen, and they'll get to the. Nobody wants to get to the uh, DMV uh, and mm-hmm. wait and get all that stuff done, and then not be able and to say, "Oh, it's not
0: that. there," and it's not there because yeah. you used a provider that can't load your information. Right. Yeah. And so, what do you? You said you know. However, the 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 SDLA's are using that interface. What do we know about? how that is is operating. I know there's been some conversations between AMVA and FMCSA about how to leverage the existing connections. Uh, but again, for those that maybe aren't following it as closely, there's this expectation that the states will be able to look up the driver and get that answer that that individual has completed their training requirements. What, what do we know at this point in time about exactly how that interface is working?
1: Yeah, sure. I, so far, it's working pretty well. There's the, when the states are connecting uh, for this process. There's two ways they can do it: either the state can make the direct make a direct connection, or they can work it through one of AMBA's systems, either systems or Rooster, the technical names for the two mm-hmm. uh, systems that are out there. So um, a few months ago, we made the initial connection and sent some test data through. Uh, you know, working with AMBA and working with the states to see that. And we just sent another batch through now. So at this point, um, it looks like the technology seems to be working well. Um, we still have a couple of months to go, two, three months, and we're going to keep on working through that testing to make sure that um, all of the states are able to uh, retrieve that data going forward. So it really just depends on the states and the state's technology um, and what their preferences on how it works, whether they do it on their own or whether they do it through AMBA. But I know lots of them are um, going through the AMBA system, which makes it easier uh, for us from a testing process, but we can accommodate um, you know anyway. So so far, um, that that really is the key thing to focus on for us uh, and for the states uh, mm-hmm. over the coming months is just to make sure we got any glitches uh, worked out because as I said, what we don't want to happen is, We don't want somebody to get to the SDLA having done everything right and then Mm -hmm. still have some kind of problem because of a glitch. So um, we're pretty confident at this point that uh, all the dates will be up and running and and ready to go come February.
0: So let's talk about that February date. It's February 7th of this coming year, correct? February 7th, 2022. And so the expectation is that starting on that date, Anyone coming in to take their CDL exam will go through that process of the state checking the registry before giving the exam?
1: That's right. So the way to look at it, it's a little bit confusing, but uh, the easiest way to say it in terms of who needs to do it is a driver that's getting their CLP on or after February 7th, 2022, has to go through the entry-level driver training process. You uh, kind so of it's based more on the group. CLP date, not right. the CDL test date. That's correct. Yes. It's a little bit uh, odd because of how you would have to transition this. So if a driver has their CLP now or they get it and they're going through the training process, then, you know, then they can go ahead as long as they get their CDL before their CLP expires, they'll be fine right. and, they're good, and they're good to go. Because, you know, if you kind of think about it, it's, you know, almost a, a way to think about it. In my mind, is when is the training taking place, before or after February seventh? Mm-hmm, so a driver mm-hmm. that has their CLP already is going to be taking their training. And we wouldn't want to be like, oh, now after February 7th, suddenly you have to go through this extra training. Right. So I like to kind of frame it that way in terms of driver obtaining their CLP on or after February seventh is going to be subject to the new requirement.
0: And what might states expect in terms of uh, what they're going to hear from you folks at FMCSA in terms of showing their progress and ultimately compliance with their their piece of this part of the regulation.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, the real thing for the states is just our continuing discussions with them over the over the IT and the IT connections. And we're also working with the states and providing as much materials and outreach as we can because you know, talking to the management and the it folks at the sdla is only one piece of the puzzle right we want to make sure that the states are equipped to train all of their folks at the counters Mm -hmm. everybody that's going to be interfacing with the drivers so all of that is what we really need to be focusing on over the next couple months keep on working this it thing but also we want to make sure that when the driver walks in and says yeah i'm applying for my cdl and the the um the screen comes up that the person working at the counter knows what they're supposed to do and kind of make that as seamless as possible. So really, and when I say outreach, I mean, that's, you know, we've tons of outreach, tons of training on the state side, as well as, of course, on the industry side Mm -hmm. as well, to make sure we get everybody up to speed.
0: And have there been hiccups, challenges, concerns from any of those three major parties, the training schools, the trucking industry, the SDLAs? You know, as you get closer to that compliance state, anything that, you know, not, not that it's a criticism, go, oh, okay, well, you know, there's a big gap between a negotiated rulemaking and actually implementing something, and you learn sure. things along the way.
1: Yeah, I don't know that there was any been any big red flags, but some of the things that we're watching are really to make sure, uh, for one, that the training schools are registering, because mm-hmm. we don't we want to make sure that the drivers all have easy access to training, which is why we opened up registration so early. We opened it up over the summer, about six months or so before, because we want to make sure that the training providers get themselves and their training locations registered. So a driver isn't in a situation after February saying, hey, the closest training school is just not feasible for me to get to, or, you know, we're really kind of focusing on that and focusing a lot of outreach effort on that because that's one of the questions that the industry said, are you going to have enough people registered? Are you going to have enough people out there, you know, to to get our drivers through Mm -hmm, this process mm -hmm. uh, as seamlessly as possible? Now, a lot of the carriers, of course, are training schools themselves, um, and that's that's fine as well. But we want to make sure that we got good access, lots of places registered, so there's lots of options for folks. So that's been probably the most frequent question I've gotten is, are you going to have enough people out there? Is there going to be somebody, you know, close to me that right. I need to go that I can get to fairly easily? Yeah.
0: Now there's a small uh, exception in the rule, if I remember correctly, where um, something about if someone held a previous held a CDL previously, maybe it's expired and now they want to reactivate it, if you will, um, that they are essentially exempt from the training requirement am
1: i remembering that correctly yeah i look at it this way it's really just what if you add another qualifier onto new cdl like first time cdl holder Mm -hmm. is the one that's subject to To the the, training
0: training yeah and i guess that's you know if we take a step back i would imagine you know the reason why i was in map 21 the reason why i'm doing this is clearly we believe that the big royal we of the community right thinks that there's going to be a potential safety gain by putting this in place that's not just about a bureaucratic process to say we want to formalize something but there is a gap there and we think we can improve safety by doing this uh, can you take us back and some of those conversations about what is what is that gap here? What is the loophole in the process that we think that this rule will fix to make roads safer and save lives?
1: Yeah, I mean that's a great question. And I probably should have mentioned that in your first question when I was kind of laying out what this rule is about. Because uh, of all the things that we've got, you're right, it can get a little bit lost, and there's a lot of kind of paper bureaucracy mm-hmm. and things that things tied to this. But really, it goes back to kind of how I opened up when we first started talking earlier, which is kind of raising that standard, you know, making sure that we have at least this minimum standard of training for out there for the drivers. I, it's also important to know that this is only going to be one piece of the puzzle, right? As the federal government, we're not regulating everything. We hope that this is not the the end of, of it, mm-hmm. right? You don't just take somebody now and say, oh, they've had entry-level driver training. You know, we push them out. We still... You know there should be some mentoring and some coaching and you know driver training that goes on after that. Mm-hmm. But really, the reason for this rule is is this feeling, and it's true. Uh, we know this from um, you know licenses of all agencies. As the father of several teenagers, I can tell you, <laughs> you know that good driving <laughs> comes through experience mm-hmm. and comes through good training and good and good learning. And the idea here with this rule was. You know, there's probably some really good training providers out there. And there's maybe some that are not quite as good. Mm -hmm, And we wanna make sure that we, as we raise that baseline. We have that that minimum amount of training that is higher than uh, perhaps what it was before. For some schools, this is gonna be no big deal. For some schools are maybe are going above and beyond this already. For others, they may be needing to adjust their curriculum to make sure that they cover all the components and adjust mm -hmm. their training. So The idea is that, you know, as we're trying to get more drivers into the industry um, and as, you know, growth continues, we want to make sure that we're getting good, safe drivers coming into the industry. And the first step in that is good, solid training up front.
0: Now, as much as we want that solid training, we want new safe drivers, has there been any concern from the industry side, especially right now where it's, you know, this constant news coverage of, you know, supply chain challenges, driver shortages, can't get goods delivered, right? Everyone's already getting worried about holiday gifts arriving on time, right? And now, now granted, this is after the holidays, but, you know, you you, you see where I'm going with this. The idea that ah, this is another obstacle to get new drivers into the system.
1: Yeah. So that that question comes up a lot. And, and what I'd like to point out is that I, I don't really I don't wouldn't look at this as an obstacle because mm-hmm. as I mentioned earlier, the process for getting your CDL is still the same. Right. Right. We didn't really add a new requirement in here. You were gonna have to have some training. Yeah. You know, th- th- it's probably a rare person that was just gonna show up at the at the SDLA and be able to pass the written test without and, <laughs> and the skills test without having any training, right? Yeah. so you know really what i it's just one of those things where on the industry side we have to always kind of give the reminder and we do this with a lot of rules like make sure you're thinking about this now
0: mm-hmm. because
1: you do need a one make sure that your training school is on there so that you don't have a delay yeah and maybe for some individual driver who could have gotten trained really quickly and now maybe can't it might take a little bit longer for them but as we just discussed I think that's a good thing, right? Right. We want to make sure that we have that standard in place. And with the states being uh, on on the ball like they are, um, I don't really see how this should create right. any lengthening yeah. of the process of uh, getting folks through. And I don't really see, you know, again, that a driver would look at it and be like, oh, you know. Oh, this, this is, is, I'm not going to
0: do this now. This is way too much of a burden. I'm going gonna- right. to.
1: <laughs> and again, if they if they did, maybe that's not the driver that we really would want anyway, yeah, right? Yeah, so.
0: absolutely. And because, again, it's because it's performance-based, you know, if they're a good driver, they're going to be okay with that. Yep, you know, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. So what else? What else have we not talked about when we talked about what's coming, what this rule means, and particularly what state DMVs need to be prepared for? We talked a lot about the systems and training the, the counter clerks to make sure they know what the process looks like and that's happening. What, what haven't we touched on that needs to really be aired?
1: Yeah, I think the couple of things maybe that we didn't quite get is just, uh, I, we keep talking about training providers like they're a singular training provider Mm -hmm. um but it doesn't necessarily have to be that way for instance there are um training providers on the registry that are only going to provide like theory training for hazmat endorsements.
0: Mm, so kind of a specialty yeah
1: yeah so because that's what they do and they've got uh, you know uh certain areas you know and maybe there's some schools will just do the class a and b and there are i know there are schools like this and they will and So if you're a driver and you're saying, hey, ultimately, my goal is to do hazmat or passenger, uh, you need to be thinking that, um, you know, I need to make sure since my school doesn't do it, I'm going to have to go in and find a second school, which on the state side, then means there may be a a second piece of information that's coming there. Mm -hmm. They're going to need to make sure that if a driver comes in and asks for uh, that, they're going to apply to get their class a cdl with hazmat they're going to need to make sure that they've got training providers that have certified to both of those hmm. so it's not necessarily a clean cut i know and i mentioned hazmat because that seems to be the one area that uh we do see this a fair amount that there are um, some providers that kind of specialize in that kind of training yeah, that makes for sense. A variety of online and in-person courses and and, uh, and things like that. So other than that, um, I think it kind of comes down to what we were finishing up before, which is uh, my kind of message to everybody is, you know, be thinking about this now. Yeah. You know, the states be thinking about it now, be thinking about how they're going to get their folks trained on the, in the front facing offices and all those kinds of things. Uh, motor carriers, be thinking about: Are you a training provider? If you are, you need to be registered. Or, you know, what's your process going to be for bringing those things on, uh, for bringing um, for bringing new drivers on, and for anybody that's a prospective driver is thinking about this now. Just now is the time to be thinking kind of about this process. So, um, you know, I will do a, a shameless plug uh you know for the for the website Mm -hmm. the easiest way to find it in government land is just google fmcsa uh training provider registry uh and you'll find lots of information there that i think will help uh folks understand in addition to kind of presentations we've got some fact sheets and some other things checklists just to kind of help people get up to speed and be walking through this so uh, when you get a second you know uh I urge folks to check that out because we're always putting new stuff up there. And you also can sign up for the distribution lists. So as we push information out, you can get on there and you can get information that way.
0: And if the SCLAs need any particular help, whether it's training materials for their staff or working the technology, where are their best points of contact for follow-up in addition to the materials on the website?
1: Yeah, absolutely. They can they all of the state driver's license agencies, we have a round table once a month. So they have the contacts. We have a whole division in our office that deals with commercial driver's license and they're the lead on um, on uh, on the implementation of this rule. So if they're looking for new stuff or have questions, they always can reach out through me or or through their contact in the CDL division. Yeah. And for the next couple of months, this is what we're gonna be focusing on heads down on this one. That's right. All in to get it done and make sure everybody's ready to go by February seventh.
0: Excellent. Well, Joe, I appreciate you joining us today to to chat through it. Um, Hopefully doing this uh, in November is still early enough. Like you said, think about it now. February is not as far away as it sounds.
1: especially the way time seems to move lately right yeah you never really know
0: you never really know what time it is anymore (laughs) well thanks again for spending some time with us it's very helpful we really appreciate it i want to thank all of our listeners for tuning in this week and listening to our conversation about eldt entry-level driver training and i want to thank our producers claire jeffrey and chelsea hadwin until next week everyone stay well thank you for joining us for ambicast hosted by ian grossman Produced by Claire Jeffrey, music by Gibson Arthur. This episode was brought to you by Recall Buzz, powered by Vinsmart. Visit us at amvacast.podbeam.com and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify.